You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Hey everybody, this is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast and I am just very excited to have Allison McCabe uh, on the program. Uh, Allison's a writer, reporter, producer, and uh, often you can often hear uh, Allison's work on uh, NPR, uh, New York Times, BBC, Culture, Wired, and other publications. That's the official. That's the official thing. I had to give you an <laughs> introduction. Thank uh, you. Al- Allison wrote um, Why, Sin- Why Sinead O'Connor Matters and uh, a-, a book that I-, I just recently read, and, uh, uh, a primary source of our chat. Allison McKay, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Really, ex- really exciting to. Um, I had uh, mentioned to you, I got the. There's a link of there's a link of how I end up in contact with you that sometimes I drop it out and like I figured out in my head is pretty simple but it, it, these things kind of excite me so um I had uh, Sadie uh, Dupuis and uh, and uh, on 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 the program and I think I saw or with her regarding this book um, at Headhouse mm-hmm. uh, Books the bookstore and I had just had Sadie on the on the program and I'm like. Why Sinead O'Connor? Like for me, I'm like somebody wrote the book. Like I want to like be. I want to read this exactly. And um, uh, got the book from Headhouse, ordered it, and uh, contacted you, read it, and uh, so 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 here we are. But what about that uh, event in Philly? That kind of was this like nexus of like my program and you know and Sadie can you tell us a little bit about that that kind of yeah well, nexus that, was, there? that was a very special evening um you know I had the book came out in May and I did a tour and I'm from Philadelphia I talk about that a bit in the book and uh so instead of opening the tour in Philadelphia I thought that I would end the tour in Philadelphia so I had uh, Sadie with me and also a guy called Mighty Joe Castro who is a musician and also a collage artist, and he made this incredible collage that was inspired by the book called Truthful Witness. And um, yeah, it was just like, it kind of was like a full circle moment for me, bringing that tour back to Philadelphia, like literally steps away from where, you know, some of the events that I talk talk about in the book happened. But I know Sadie from a, a little bit from, we did a story together for NPR. And even before that, I think we did a, I used to have a column in the Rumpus. It was an illustrated column where uh, artists share stories about meaningful objects. And so she talked to me about a Farfisa organ. So we go back a, a bit. But yes, I saw that she was on your show. And yeah. I was very excited also. So there's the nexus. <laughs> I, no, I I love that because for me, like, I'm, I'm, an org- I'm a labor organizer, like, mm-hmm. by, by my trade. Um, and my mind, like... Th- ties into like where, where the where the connection was and all that mm-hmm. type of thing because it's like a charting in my head and the problem with it is I've done the show for five years and the charting is getting <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, intricate so um I gotta tell you something when uh I uh talking about Sinead um I didn't know how profoundly important to me she was until she passed away. And I 
I'm still grieving from the death of Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. And um, it was such a large thing for me. And uh, part of it for me was like, what? Like, you know, like how and, and, and why? And I think part of it is I've been a Sinead O'Connor fan the whole time. And, and, and I listened to her music the whole time and I would play Sinead O'Connor and it's always like a thing to play Sinead O'Connor sometimes around people because like, oh, like everybody's tied to this story of like what what happened with her. Um, we all have a relationship with it. And, and I and you talk in your book, which I, I just adore. Um, uh, I'm going to go just for a tiny bit and I got to let you talk I'm in the in 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 the book. um. I like when authors are talking, are, are talking real shit. Like, like, you know, like, Hey, I'm trying to write this. Um, this is a big person. There's a lot of things around this and, and, and I'm, tr- I'm trying to get at this. And the part of the reason I'm trying to get at this is because I'm trying to get at me as well. And, uh, I love that. And I love you going, uh, in after that, but it broaches the question, what what about your relationship uh, with, with Sinead? Because I know she was on, you mentioned she was on the pop radio and you're like, shit, you know. Um, what's, what's your relationship uh, with Sinead that led you to writing this book? Well, it's really evolved over time. You know, I think that for me, and I talk about this a little bit in the beginning, you know, I wasn't a lifelong Sinead O'Connor fan, you know, because my familiarity with her was really like, you know, originally in 1990, she had this big hit, Nothing Compares to You. It was all over MTV. And I sort of mistook her for being a pop star, which she was not. That was sort of an outlier uh, in not just her whole catalog, her musical catalog, but in her life, really. Um, And so I kind of didn't see it, you know. And then after 92, when she tears up the photo of Pope John Paul II on Saturday Night Live, you know, she essentially disappears from my radar. She does for a lot of people. So it wasn't until years later, and I'm a music journalist, that I was working on, as often happens, you know, a totally different story when I just happened to stumble on a collection of videos that were actually not even Sinead initially. It was another artist, Fiona Apple, talking about Sinead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started to kind of go down this rabbit hole, and I started to really, like, what happened to Sinead? And then, you know, two things. One, really being shocked by how prolific she was as an artist, that long after... She's had these chart hits. She continued to make so much great music. So there was that aspect of it. But then there was this other aspect of it, which was how often she'd been right and how often others were wrong about her. You know, and then there was this other layer that you're talking about, which is how I connect to all of it. And, um, you know, typically when you're a journalist and you're thinking about doing a story, you're you may have that all kind of in the background, but you're kind of trained to suppress that or just definitely don't mention it, you know. Yeah. But I realized at a certain point that I had to because um, it wasn't really even about seeing myself necessarily, but it was about creating a space for the reader to see themselves. And and I think that's something that Sinead really did that made her so powerful. You know, yeah. when, I, when I talked to her, you know, she said in the beginning, she just wanted to be heard. And by heard, I don't mean just like, hey, have a big audience. I mean, really to be understood. And then pretty early on, she realized that she had this opportunity to also be that voice for other people. And that was the value of the platform. That's wow. all the value it was. So I, I think that's kind of a little like short condensed version, but that's how I got back into it. And it just so happened that her tour, she was having a very small sort of tour along the American West coast that was yeah. paused by COVID. So I didn't get a chance to see it, but 
there was this thing that her memoir was coming out. And so as soon as I saw that, you know, I was like, okay, here's an opportunity to see if I can, you know, initially sure. tell a smaller version of the story for NPR, which I did in June of 2021 when the memoir came out. Yeah. I, um, I immediately, uh, not immediately, a little bit after, and in thinking about, um, Sinead, I was trying to figure out my, uh, like the influence, like, uh, on the story. Right. So like, um, I, I, I could remember, uh, you know, I was in college and things were breaking. And I didn't know. I would tell you that I had probably a very uh, uh, American norm. I mean, I'm, I'm I, I think, and I'm open minded stuff. But I'd be like, the reaction was like, why the fuck's her head shaved? And like, she's yeah. on like TV. Like, I mean, it's on MTV. It was shocking. That was the whole. That was the whole point. So I was like, what's going on with this? I remember I had a a friend of mine who said. Uh, it was like a music conversation and he was like, oh, it's Sinead O'Connor and whatever. And probably same thing. I was like, oh, on MTV and, you know, like I'm listening to all this stuff. And he said, no, 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 no. He's going to maybe it might have been the cassette, like <laughs> going through the notes. He's look, look, public enemy. Like, look, uh -huh. she loves public enemy. And this is a weird time for like I'm I've always been into hip hop like forever. I'm 51 now, but my whole life I've been into hip hop. So he knows and says, hey, yo, like Sinead is like she's down like and i'm like what what's this like irish singer talk? like how's she even heard of public and it was a different time yeah and uh for me that was it initially i'm like oh wait a second like she's she's something else and she was always something yeah always always something else um the uh uh i had a i had a a, a question um that i wanted to ask we're gonna jump around if that's all right yeah um, sure definitely. yeah um I, I wanted to to, to ask the, uh, a general question, you know, about your creativity, um, talking about you. Um, when 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 was it that you saw yourself as a as a creator, as as an artist? I mean, I think it's a I think it's a great question. I mean, I think that I'll just say as an aside, like I think for a lot of artists there's a reluctance to say you're an artist, right? Because you worry a little bit. People say that you're being like an artiste. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's like yeah. a little bit of a sense of like, have you, have I earned it? And is it too pretentious? But I think that for me, uh, like the kind of work that I want to do, like I'm not very interested in just regurgitating a press release or I'm not really very interested in just like filling in little pieces of the canon you know, what I'm interested in is like really something a little bit deeper than that. And so I think that the creativity is really born out of like, not just repeating things, but understanding how they're put together and how they could be put together differently. And, you know, that's the kind of work that I'd like to do. You know, I'm, I'm really drawn to people and events sort of in music, but not only music, because I do also work in, you know, like with film, television and books I'm interested in things or people that have been overlooked or forgotten or yeah. seen through a distorted lens or maybe never seen at all. Yeah. You know, and in telling their stories, again, it's not a matter of adding to what we know, but it's really about questioning what we know. So I think that's really kind of the drive for me. Yeah. I like, um, you know, it's a philosophy show, so we can kick around on some, some, mm -hmm. some, some, you know, that was, that was what I studied undergrad. So, you know, I'm all over that. Oh, <laughs> shit. Well, we're all set up. I knew, I knew, yes. I, I knew way ahead of time. We're all set up for success here. No, um, you know, the, your book, why Sinead O'Connor matters. And like, I think about the question mark too. Right. And it's always controversy, uh, with, with, 
you know, with her. Um, on, on, on the bit uh, with regards, to, you know, to your to your own uh, creativity, um, what is art? What do you think art is? What are we trying? What was Sinead O'Connor trying with her music? What is art? Maybe the best way to think about it is the difference between art and entertainment. You know, from my point of view, entertainment is kind of surface level. You know, it's uh, sort of aims aims for the middle. <laughs> you know, it aims for the broadest, therefore for the middle. I think that entertainment can affect your mood, but it can't really change the world. And I think that in contrast, you know, art is really about putting you in touch with and, you know, sometimes also challenging your attitudes, your values, your beliefs, your feelings, um, how you feel about yourself and how you feel about the world. So I think like that's a kind of way of thinking about Sinead because, you know, she said uh, that she thought like being an artist was about being yourself at all costs. And I think that's really a great way of thinking about what she was trying to do, you know. Yeah. And again, it wasn't selfish. It wasn't like, I'm just going to express myself and the hell with everybody else. It was, no, I'm going to express myself because I care about everybody else. I think wow. the whole point of like why Sinead O'Connor matters is because we, we really, it, it shows us that we matter. But wow. I think the key to mattering is to like think about like our connections to each other. No change ever happens because one person's talking. Change happens because people are talking and other people are listening. And then we start to realize, hey, you know, there's a way that we can move this forward. And and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, I think it's the trying that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I want I, I, I wrote down a question and I kept uh, scratching it out because I wanted to ask you a question. I wanted the answer to this, but I didn't know how to ask it. But. And it's a little, it's a little, it's a little clumsy, but it's the, it's what's in my gut and what I, I, I don't get, um, after having followed Sinead and, uh, talking about the treatment of her, mm -hmm. I, in, in, in reading about the things that happened with her and her as a focal point and the consistent, a consistent, strong attacks, right. uh, against, against, uh, Sinead, I was like, my question was like, why this massive vitriol, almost all encompassing, and to have extreme it, you, it, it, on this neat thing, particularly after the controversy. I mean, you were defending, you know, the the nine eleven uh, hijackers, right? I mean, it was like to defend her was was like a really sh a difficult spot. What was this reaction? Every At times it seemed where she looked this way years later or looked this way or trusted in this person. And I'm not saying she was fault. Uh, I'm saying there was so much attack on her. It was so unsettling. I lacked words. That was my question, Allison. I was like, why this? Well, a lot of people think that, you know, everything was going really well. And then she went on Saturday Night Live and she did this blasphemous thing and she tore up this photo of the Pope and that's what did it, yeah. right? But that's not really, you know, early on I realized that wasn't it at all because there are many events, many public events leading up to that. That wasn't like the, that was sort of like, the, not the first straw, that was sort of the last straw, you know, because yeah. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned public enemy. So her first primetime US TV appearance, 
you know, she'd been on David Letterman, but the first primetime appearance was, you know, at the 89 Grammys. And she was up for best, I'm going to get messed this up because I keep changing the phrasing, but it was like best female rock vocal performance, I want to say. And, you know, she, she, can, she, she could have just come out and like, you know, did her song. It was Mandinka. But that year, you know, the Grammys were uh, really in the midst of a, I think, a, a long brewing problem that they were trying to resolve and did not which was how to deal with rap because at first they tried to, the industry, not just the Grammys, but the industry as a whole, tried to dismiss it as a passing fad or considered it dangerously subversive, but it was so popular, it couldn't really be ignored. So they're going to offer for the first time a Grammy, but they're not going to televise it. And they cited that they didn't have enough airtime, which obviously was patently BS. So, you know, she could have come out and just done her song and taken a bow and move on with it. But as you mentioned, she was passionately um, inspired by hip hop, you know, on her first American tour before she became famous, you know, she had local rappers opening her dates. One of her very first shows was at a place in Jersey where she had a 16 year old um, MC light, you know, as the opening and they go on to collaborate together. Oh, on- wow. So, you know, this wasn't something she just sort of came up with. Yeah. But she, she wanted to be able to make a statement. And one of the ways that she could do that was she had this shaved hair and the shaved hair was a response to her label telling her that she should wear her, lo- her hair long, her skirt short <laughs> in an attempt to market her. Instead, she shaved her hair and wore like Doc Martens. <laughs> um, but yeah. she also, you know, she had Public Enemy's logo, you know, really conspicuously dyed and cut into the side of her hair. So it was a way of making them present, even though the, you know, the Recording Academy did not want rap categorically to be present. So that was just like one early thing. But every time she accepted any kind of award or was interviewed, she always used, again, the platform as an opportunity to call out racism. Why isn't MTV playing these videos? Um, You know, why isn't like, you know, the music press covering black artists the way that they're covering white artists and defining rock in white terms, you know, in, in racial terms? Yeah but also child abuse. She's talking about that very early on. She's talking about homophobia. She's talking about sexism. She's talking about all of these things. She pulls out of a SNL performance she was supposed to do in 1990 after learning that the comedian Andrew Dice Clay was going yeah. to perform. Yeah. The thing that happens at the Garden State Art Center in New Jersey, which is in 90, which depending, again, there's different versions of the story floating around, but what we can all say, I think we can concur that she was asked by people who were posing as reporters about her thoughts about the national anthem, which had typically been played before performers took the stage. And when she thought she was expressing a preference that it not be played, it went with, she's, she hates America. She's ungrateful for her success. So I think like all of this was building and building and building so that by the time SNL comes along, it's just like, okay, open season. And it never really quite went away for her. You know, people say she was canceled, but it was actually a little more complicated because she was like continuously canceled. <laughs> like, in yeah. other words, we didn't stop talking about her. We were kind of obsessed about talking about her, just not about her music. So, where did this come from? I think it's complicated, but I think a lot of it had to do with the idea of this is a young woman, and there's just like a way that you're supposed to be if you want to be successful. And if you're not going to play the game, that's not going to make people happy. Yeah, there's like almost like no entry point, like shaved hair, uh, Irish brogue, um, yeah. 
you know, the, all, all of that. Um, there's like such an intense reaction to the present, the presentation and what's being said. The, um, the piece about the, with the, I remember what I, I remember after the Saturday night live thing, I went into work. I was studying philosophy just like you mm-hmm. uh, at the university of Rhode Island. I was working third shift in the supermarket and uh, mm-hmm. I worked with some great, great, great people. I, I was paid shit. I was trying to get through undergraduate and oh, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. you know, uh, doing, you know, 10 and 10 PM, 6 AM the, at, the, at the grocery store. But these, 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 these guys were, I don't know, they're older than me. They, they accepted, they were very important to me. They accepted my strangeness. We, I learned so much from them. But I went in after the Saturday Night Live thing and uh, I was ready to get into the big rap with them and being like, yeah, she fucking did it, man. Like, fuck them. <laughs> and that was not the, the the vibe. And like, I got in a long argument, a good friend of mine. And he was like, you know, talking about her career and like she did. you know. And I'm like, dude, man, you're rock and roll. You taught me rock and roll. You taught me the, the fucking who, man. Like, <laughs> bullshit. Like, not it's the same thing, but I'm like, you know, you like that edge and somebody doing it but it was interesting because i walked in there i was like hey and there was nobody everybody was like you know she had just killed you know their best friend and i was like my initial reaction was like whoa i was like i was ready to have like fun and talk about it and um yeah so it was a shocker right off the bat i was like oh i guess my head's in a different space on this one well there's a couple things i mean i don't think people were talking especially in the u.s you know at that time so much about the the child abuse crisis in the catholic church right it wasn't even it wasn't. It was like a. It was like a weird joke that you would say or something. Yeah, like that. and and the other part of this is like you know she didn't come out on the stage and say, "Hey, this is what this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it." You know. Yeah. So I think there was like just I think the sort of just the shock of her tearing the photo, but I don't think people necessarily understood that, nor did they understand that the photo belonged to her mother and that you know was a, a souvenir from the Pope's visit in 1979 to Ireland. And what it represented specifically for her, because she wasn't attacking Catholicism. She wasn't really trying to attack the Pope as a person, right? But she was trying to sort of draw attention to this crisis, but also this idea about the corruption of the faith, the corruption of an institution that would protect predators and silence victims and survivors, I should say, silence survivors. Um, I, I think that a little bit, there was that going on that it was like not something she explicitly explained. And also, you know, just this idea of what this meant, you know, a lot of people still to this day misunderstand this. She herself did not experience abuse by a priest. You know, it was that her mother was religiously, she was devout, but she was also abusive and kind of like this disconnect between, you know, what the teachings of, the church are like what was really happening. I mean, I think that was what was so profound and why it was like a symbol of hypocrisy in a way. Right. So she didn't do a great job of explaining that. Actually, she didn't explain it at all in advance. Right. She tried to later explain it many, many times, but even years later, like people never really forgive her for that. And even if they said, okay, now we all know that what she was saying, she was calling attention to something that was happening. Even the church has said so. Yeah. It was still this like, well, do you owe an apology to anybody? not really asking whether an apology was owed to her, you know, never, never. So I think that's, it really stuck with her. But, you know, the thing about Sinead is that I also had to, in writing the book, you know, I had to sort of approach her as a, as a human, right. Not as a saint. And so 
it was also kind of like thinking about sometimes she did things be, be after SNL that were controversial, quote unquote, or that were misunderstood or that were hurtful or whatever it was, because I think that's the way to really understand her. I think that, you know, Glennon Doyle said this after she died, and I think it's true, that brave women are demonized while they're alive and sainted when they're dead. And what I try to do is actually humanize her in a way and to try to understand when these, where this was coming from. And, you know, she, the thing about her is sometimes she, you know, she tried to deliver a message and sometimes she did it imperfectly and sometimes it didn't land. But the thing that I really came to admire so much about her is that she just never stopped trying. Like it was always coming from a good place and she never stopped trying. And it was always motivated by trying to move this conversation forward. Well, and the, I just, you know, well, I'm sorry to jump in, but there's a, yeah. I, I mean, I picked up on that uh, there with the, there's, there's an honesty within the text and there's the honesty that she is very imperfect. And that's the point. She's a very imperfect human. I, there was a component there, you know, she said a lot of things and folks who say a lot of things, it's not like every time they say the thing, it's uh, the dart hitting the board. And, you know, yeah. when er, I think I saw some of her comments on um, lesbianism and her identity with that to be, you know, of uh, clumsy, clumsy yeah. about how yeah. she was talking about it. But I could even see that in the context of it. I don't, there's not perfect statements that are going to come from her. That's exactly right. the point, you know? Right. And, um, but. And why do we ask her to do that? I mean, I think that was really the thing also that I came up with is like, why do we hold her to this, a different standard? I mean, look That's at, valid. you know, somebody who's like, you know, she, she revered, you know, is like, for example, Bob Dylan, like how many comments has he made that haven't landed? But we don't, <laughs> you know, we don't invalidate him in the same way, you well, know? Very, 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 very true. And I got to tell you on yeah. the on the Bob Dylan part too. I'm a big Dylan fan. You see the the role of Dylan, the outsized, the huge role of Dylan, um, which Sinead O'Connor, which I I love reading about because it just I don't know. It makes sense and it means a lot. But um, you know, uh, wanted uh, Bob Dylan to come to bat for when she was on stage and uh, being booed. Um, you have more details on that story, but I, I read that story in the narrative and I'm hanging it on and I'm like, she's like, come on through. Could you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it's another controversy and it's, you know. So after, you know, after SNL, she's already been pre-invited to do this. It's a it'll be at Madison Square Garden. It's a tribute concert to Bob Dylan for I think is 40 years at that point. <laughs> it's been a while. So, it's been more. <laughs> but, um, you know, and she, she wanted to sing a song from, from his Christian era, you know, I believe in you. And it's a song about, you know, Dylan's faith in God, but in a way it's also a song like she performed She wanted to perform it as like about her belief in Dylan. And she really identified with him because he was somebody who was often misunderstood and criticized and also explored various genres. Also explored, explored a spirituality. You know, I think there was a yeah. lot of, a lot going on and yeah, she went to do the song, but it was meant to be performed as a whisper. And Chris Christopherson has, you know, he's on the mic and he's like, I want to introduce an artist whose you know, name is synonymous with courage and integrity. And then she comes out and it would, it was reported in the press that she was booed off the stage, but it was a little more complicated because yeah. sort of half the crowd was booing and the other half was trying to drown out the booers, booing yeah. the booers. And she tried to do the song, but 
became kind of like unable to do it because it was meant to be performed as a whisper and she couldn't be heard above the crowd. And there's this moment it's, you can see it it's on YouTube, but she just looks terrified. Um, and she decides in that moment to do an, uh, you know, war, which is the Bob Marley song that she actually performed on SNL. Yeah. And it's at that point it's untenable. And she, you know, she ends up leaving the stage, but comes back you know that's also something that's not reported for the penultimate song comes back on you know with everybody else so yeah afterwards she asked dylan through his manager could he say something about child abuse and he just did not want to do that for whatever reasons he had he didn't didn't do it you know he didn't come through for her it's really sort of tragic but yeah i think that again you have this what if dylan had been on snl that night and tore up the photo of the pope i mean it's an interesting question you know, well, then, then I think it would have been a twelve-layer deep debate around protest, uh, mm-hmm. the role of authority, the church, uh, belief, uh, the gospel of, of Paul. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, really, it would, have been, it would have been, it would have, not that our culture can handle it, but it would have been at the very least much more interested in the why. Right. Or what if Bono did? I mean, you can think of a lot of different kinds of examples, you know, if you wanted to put it sort of in this Irish context. But I think that the thing for her was, I think, revering Dylan, as she continued to do, you know, throughout her life. She never gave that up. You know, I think I can only imagine how disappointing it was that that happened. But yeah, she really also credited him with keeping her alive because it was Dylan whose music, you know, older brother, when she was a kid, brought these records home. And that's what she was sort of listening to and kind of like really was her like the thing that saved her. And also, you know, she had this, again, abusive mother, parents split up. Divorce is not legal in Ireland, but the parents are split up. And her father was able finally to get custody. But, you know, she was 13 at that time. And, you know, she'd she didn't run into some minor like shoplifting and things like that. She gets sent to this Catholic reform school. And it's there that she meets this very important figure in her life, Sister Margaret, who, you know, basically gives her the love that, like, her mother didn't have for her. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece there, yeah. But she also, um, she does, she, she said in her memoir that Sister Margaret didn't love her despite the fact that she was rebellious, but because she was rebellious. Yeah. She just really saw her. So she buys her this book of Bob Dylan songs and her first guitar. And a parka, like from this punk rock shop called No Romance in Dublin. And, you know, that's the thing where Sinead, like, really finds her voice. But it's also, I think, in some ways, the moment where she's seen for the first time, you know? Yeah. So I think that's why I think that the relationship with Dylan was so complicated. But for all of those reasons, and I think that, you know, really throughout her life, she really never um, broke away from her, again, I think reverence is the right word, her reverence for Dylan. Yeah, yeah, it's um, I don't know. It's the uh, the way you describe that too up on stage is uh, capturing the the you know the 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 tension. And I, I remember it's like one of those type of stories at times. Like I don't know what it is in our heads sometimes where you like you read it again and you're expecting a different outcome. And uh, like <laughs> the video doesn't lie or the text doesn't lie. What happened? What happened? But like in my head, I moved towards like. You know, can you change the smattering of stuff to applause? Can somebody stand up and say, yo, like, uh, yo, she's right. Or, you know, like, and it just kind of goes through where everybody's like, all the guys are like, "Eh," you know, 
head down. <laughs> right, right. So it's going to be tough for her now, you know. And, but like, uh, you know, Neil Young was asked, he came on after her and was asked, like, why didn't you say anything? And his response was just like, oh, I've been booed a lot of times. Like, it doesn't really matter. Who cares? Yeah, have you um, been booed as a new artist, as a young woman who's already under the fire of a million billion devils? Like, yeah, you know, right, like, exactly. No, no, that's all right. So stand up there. Anyways, yeah. um, yes. And Sinead O'Connor is very imperfect, uh, despite yeah. the, the love love and adoration. It's that type of moment that I'm talking about, though, Allison, where it's like, yo, something happened. Like, something, like, somebody be interested in the, the all right. I'm not going to act naive or Pollyannish, but <laughs> okay. like, like this, this, all right, let's say you look at it and say, this woman went up and did this and tore a picture of the Pope and, you know, she derailed her career. Like if you view it in that narrow sense, then as a philosopher, why, why did she impale herself? Like, why did she do that? Just a slight curiosity about a protest well, she, act. Well, she didn't. She doesn't consider that she derailed her career. What she says is that she re-railed her career yeah. and set it back on the path. And like, you know, frankly, you know, some artists say that and then it's kind of BS, right? Because they're like, yeah, I never wanted to be a pop star you know, <laughs> because they stopped being popular. But isn't that true for her? But it was true for her because, you know, again, she's coming up. She's thinking she's she wants to be like Bob Dylan. She wants to be like John Lennon. She wants to be like Bob Marley. This is what she's thinking. She's not thinking about herself as a pop star, but there's no lane for that in the music industry at this time. And so they keep trying to kind of like create a pop star. Now you mentioned her shaved hair. I mean, Annie Lennox had shaved hair, right? At the same time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But she wasn't using all these, you know, again, award ceremonies and interviews to yeah. talk about this stuff. She was, you know, involved somewhat politically. I'm not going to say that she wasn't, but it wasn't really the same, right? They're not really like equivalent. So I think a little bit what happens is she, you know, she puts together her first album, The Lion and the Cobra, comes out in 87. I mean, these songs are deep. They're not pop songs. And yeah. they're, you know, they're very, they're very autobiographical. They're about like the experiences that she's had. You know, can you pull off some singles? They were on college radio. They were on sort of the infancy of alternative radio. Yeah. You know, this isn't like somebody who's going for pop stardom, right? Even the story around nothing compares to you. I mean, you know, Prince had a lot of protégés around that time. A lot of people assumed she was one of them. She wasn't. She didn't know him at all, at all. You know, I think it was suggested to her by her manager at that time to cover that song, and it was not a major hit at that time in Prince's repertoire at all. You know, he had kind of recorded it with this side project called The Family and wasn't released yet as a single. And what she brought to it is what she brought to other covers that she did, which is, you know, filtering it through her own sensibilities, her own experiences, like her own bel canto you know singing from emotion and the tear that she sheds in the iconic music video she actually was really thinking about her now dead mother her, di her mother died i think i'm going to say in 85 uh on a actually she was on her way to mass and got into a fatal car wreck and died and um you know even though she was abusive again Sinead's attachment was strong and she thought of her when she sang those words and the tear was real and that i think is what we were responding to because even if we didn't know that, like, I think when an artist, go back to what is an artist, like, you, you when they do something that is emotionally true, whether it's something you hear in their music or see in a video, like, it resonates. Like, I think we're kind of conditioned to sort of intuitively maybe pick up on that truth, the idea when you hear truth or see truth. 
in an artist's work. And that's what we saw. So even though that was her big pop hit, you know, it wasn't engineered to be that. And I think that for her, it was, uh, of course, sort of thrilling to be globally famous, but also sort of terrifying and a little overwhelming. I think that if you grew up without functional parenting, that's very warping to your sense of self. And then if you become famous, that's also very warping to your sense of self. And I think when you put those two things together, it's kind of impossible almost, it's, you know, yeah. to kind of get through it and, and, and have a sense of self outside of it, outside of who you are in the reflection of other people and how they see you. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you on this. Um, when you're talking about um, the tear and the real tear, uh, for me, uh, on music and what is art, when you mention that, the still of her tear and how that, where her singing sounds at that point, my whole body got chills. Mm -hmm. So I saw that as a 17-year-old dude, mm -hmm. like, what is this? And I'm 51 right now. And the still of that tear yeah. and talking to you, brought chills through my entire body because of <laughs> how she sang that. I, I mean, that. that was the stuff that, you know, as I started working on this, like, you know, again, I, I, I knew I was, I brought the story to NPR from morning edition and I knew I was going to do it, but you know, when you're on the radio, you get five minutes, you know, some of my stories have been as long as eight minutes. That's considered an eternity. Um, you're, it's almost like you have to make all kinds of choices about how you're going to put it together. And, what I try to do is sort of create a mini, a miniature documentary where it's like the people I'm interviewing, some archival tapes, some music, but you can't possibly tell the whole story in that frame. It's almost like I'm creating a trailer for the story, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I knew even at that point that there was a much bigger story and then I wanted to tell it. I was really like deep into it. I'd already been deep into like unearthing all the archival stuff and da, 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 da. Even before I interviewed her, you know, before I talked to her, you know, I had like certain like, okay, these are the things I have to walk away with for this NPR story. But I also knew that there were these other deeper kinds of things that I wanted to get to and, you know, knew that I, 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 I wanted to go, you know, to a much greater depth than I'd be able to actually reflect in that piece. And that was really one of the mo main motivations for writing the book. You know, that said, um, I wanted to write a book about her not for her, you know, so I didn't want to do it as a conventional biography. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 um, I like how you talk about that in the text and I, I, I like how you just like lay it out and, and here's the approach, but I would think it's also important because you make arguments for the, uh, legitimacy, the legitimacy of, of the approach, right. Rather than just the, the standard, you, you talk about it almost like, um, disinterested science trying to track what happened and allowed the reader to, you know, make conclusions. Um, you're in the text and you should be. And um, it, it's, it's, it's helpful to lay that out. I wanted to ask you a question. When you talk to Sinead, um, what did you hear in her voice? Um, honesty. I thought she was very candid. I thought she was generous. I mean, I, you know, the job is I interview you know, a lot of people. That's a, a huge chunk of the job, really. You know, again, I think what you hear in a story that I do is just a tiny fraction of the conversation or conversations that I have with an artist. And like, I'm really trying when they tell me things, not just to record them, 
but really to listen, you know, deeply and to understand what they're trying to tell me. I mean, and sometimes they open up and sometimes they don't, you know, sometimes you talk to an artist and especially if they're, you know, often when you get an artist, they're like promoting something, right? In this case, it was a book, but it could be like an album or a film or some kind of other project. And they may be, it's called like doing press, you know, they may be doing like a million interviews that day. And oftentimes, unfortunately, they get asked all the same questions. And so it's really hard to find novel ways to answer them. And so that becomes a kind of script. And that's why, you know, you'll see like the interview here, 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 and here, all these different places. And it's pretty much the same, no matter who's conducting it. Yeah. But in this case, you know, I was, okay, you know, will she show up? Who will she be? You know, because I had spent so much time before I had talked to her in her world emotionally and understanding going through all this stuff. You know, I wasn't sure who I would meet on the other side of the conversation. And yeah, I mean, like, as I, as I mentioned in the book, she was on time. She was on point. She wasn't evasive. She didn't give me pat answers. Um, I think that she met me where I was, which was, you know, in a real conversation. And, you know, I, I was, um, I was really moved by all the bad experiences that she'd had up until that point, talking to people who interviewed her, you can see where it'd be totally understandable for her to shut down and just kind of like automate but she didn't, you know, she came to it like in a really authentic way. And, you know, just, I found it to be, uh, you know, one of the, I mean, honestly, I mean, one of the most meaningful interview experiences that I've had. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you had that too. I'm glad you had, had that opportunity. I, um, yeah, I, um, uh, just, you know, in some, uh, as a, as a fan, um, her voice never heard a never 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 heard of a, a, a voice like that. And I got to tell you, what was interesting for me because if you're impacted by things or you're impacted by a loss, I think I become more introspective. Mm-hmm. I think earlier in my life there was loss. I was upset. I left it behind. You know, and I mm. think that story is common with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But when Sinead passed, um, I was devastated. And it's not necessarily that that's my reaction is going to be. I'll show my emotion, but I was devastated. And I also realized right off the bat that I didn't know why I was so floored. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that I was engaged in a process that I never uh, engaged in. This is somebody that I did not know, that I've listened through my entire life, that I'm realizing my profound or deeper attachment connection to her and she's gone and be unexpected that being unexpected. So there's a before and after in my recent history about it. Cause when it happened, I was like, and so the process afterwards, I'm going to be like, okay, this is good for me healing. Right. I've, I've had a lot of other type of loss nearby people that I did know were close to me, mm-hmm. but it's really been a journey for me of like understanding, uh, why, and what I've come to thus far is that I love Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. And also, I'm 17 when she pops. I'm profoundly, deeply attracted to her. And I can't with my buddies, right? Um, like shaved head, like weird chick type of thing. So my love is early on at my teenage years and beyond, like a secret, like, you know, it's it's a weird like relationship um, that I have. I grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I know and understand. Uh, 
although she tore up the picture for different reasons, I, I, I understood protest. I understood Martin Luther. I understood yeah. nailing protest things on, on a door. I understood all those things. Um, but I just wanted to say at the base of it, like it's been really a deep experience for me to deal with the reaction that I never knew would, would come and, and just, just find out why uh, for myself. Um, and I'm still going through it. So I could have, like, I would never, if you asked me in the summer, like about going through this experience, I would have been like, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. So for me, I'm kind of like, still kind of like raw within it and fascinated and curious. And that's why I devoured your book uh, in one sitting and immediately contacted you <laughs> to chat. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that she, I think, I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, since she's, since she died and thanks for sharing that with me. I mean, they've also said, you know, similar things about the, the I mean, like, I think she was sort of, she was never controversial for controversy's sake, right? There was always something else that was happening that was much deeper than, I think what she did in a way was she reflected ourselves back to ourselves, right? I mean, all the good things about us, but also like some of the hypocrisy and the double standards and the gaslighting and all the bad stuff. I mean, whatever it was, she didn't, she just, she gave it to you like it was. I mean, she was like that, right? So I think for a lot of people, she allowed them to sort of, whether they were conscious of it or not, you know, kind of be in touch with that. And then there's the music itself, like the emotional experience of hearing the music. I mean, even if it's not conscious, again, it's putting you in touch with those things within yourself. And those, it's not necessarily you've had identical experiences, but you may have had emotionally proximate experiences, if that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I think that when a celebrity dies, I think there is a kind of, way in which it kind of provokes people to kind of be like, oh, what's you, my connection to this person? But I feel like with Sinead, it's kind of on a whole other level for a lot of people than it is for maybe some other artists. Yeah. Not not, not all artists. I mean, there's certainly other artists I can think of but that had, you know, also had a similar kind of effect. But for her, it was this uh, profound sense of we really did lose something. And then maybe the a little bit of the for some people, not you necessarily, but for some people, I think a little of the shame of like, why didn't we do more for her? Why didn't we do more to support well, her? More of a reckoning if you at least connect your head with the point about the revelations of the Catholic Church. In the, well, in the it, it had started. I mean, she had, again, she had her, you know, she had her memoir come out in uh, June 2021. And then Catherine Ferguson's documentary, Nothing Compares, came out. And, you know, my book, came out, I think already like the narrative around Sinead was starting already to change and people were starting to understand what she was about, but her death was still a horrible shock. It was for me a yeah. horrible shock because she had, you know, she had been through so many things and persevered that I think there was a part of me that thought that's always how it would be. Right. You know, I did talk at the end of the book about the the death of her son, Shane, and how that impacted her. But, you know, some time had gone by and she was, you know, back in social media and working on a new record and she had new music out. It was uh, the theme music from uh, for the Outlander show. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I, I just, you know, I think I saw those little things and thought, okay, you know, maybe she's coming back into public life again. And so that's why it was uh, it was shocking and it was really devastating. And in the immediate aftermath – 
I, you know, my book, again, my book came out in May, you know, she died at the end of July. I was just coming off, you know, I thought would be the tour. You know, we talked about Philadelphia. That was originally going to be the last date of the tour. Um, I'm still touring. Um, but it's changed. You know, when I first went out with the book on the tour, people, a lot of, you know, people wanted to know about Sinead. They didn't know a lot about her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, then I think there was, you know, for me, after she died, a lot of appearances talking about her music, her life and her legacy. And I'm by far not the only person who did that. But the conversation became different in talking with people. And it wasn't so much who was she, why she mattered, but also just sort of like her legacy. And I think the best way that we can honor her legacy is really to think about like all those conversations that she tried to spark, you know. We need to have them still, you know, they are going to be difficult. We don't have to agree, but we have to kind of be committed to hearing each other. And I think if we're really serious about that, like we'll have honored what she was about. It's not enough, I think, for us to say, oh, she was such a brave warrior. Like we have to think about how can we be brave warriors? But yeah, people have written to me from all around the world, um, you know, sharing how they felt about her, her music sometimes about the book, sometimes about my story, which I appreciate that you appreciated that it was in there a little bit, yeah. you know, not, not everybody did, you know, to be completely candid about it. I mean, some people are like, why is this non-famous person? Why do we care? And I'm like, you, because it's not about me, you know, it's about us, you know? And I I'm like, you know, I, I sort of feel I made that decision early on. It wasn't natural for me. If you listen to my other journalism, like I'm not usually in my stories. But I felt that it was important to put myself in this story because it was a way of being like leveling with the reader. And also I thought I want the reader to feel seen. And the way I can do that is to reveal some parts of myself. So, you know, I did that, but some people really didn't like that (laughs) because there are some people who just were like, oh, this Sinead died. Who was she? Grab this book. You know, they want the Wikipedia, but I'm not going to do the Wikipedia. So I think a, a little bit, it was overwhelming to do all these, you know, kind of like appearances again, you know, really trying to emphasize I'm not her spokesperson. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I wrote, I wrote a discreet work of art, a way of approaching this. Yeah. Yeah. But also the outpouring of just letters from strangers. I mean, sometimes they were heartbreaking. Sometimes they were really uplifting. Sometimes they were both. And I tried my best to respond to everybody, but at a certain point, you know, that became untenable. But I, I guess I just wanted people to know that even if I were, wasn't able to write them back, that like I, I you know, I, I heard them, I saw them, and I, I think like in a way it made me feel less alone in my grief. So I really appreciated it, you know. Yeah, well, and I, I think uh, I, I, as you know, as you would know, I, I really appreciate that in the book itself, and the fact that I talk about, you know, with this the 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 art show and this thing is I, you know, I have a, it's for me, it's art philosophy and liberation. It's, it's, you know, this kind of interplay. It's this interplay of uh, human authenticity or what Mm -hmm. folks need to do Mm -hmm. um, to be authentic. All right. I got the the big philosophical question and you studied (laughs) philosophy and uh, you know, of course it's, it is uh, titillating for me with the, see the, um, Nothing compares to you, a, a song that Sinead broke uh, with. But the the question um, 
uh, why is there something rather than nothing? Mm. And and you 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 kicked around uh, these philosophical questions in the dusty halls, and <laughs> I did that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Allison McCabe, uh, why is there something rather? Than nothing? I think because everything that's everything in life that's worth it entails risk. You know what I mean? I think at the end of the day, it really matters that we try. And I also feel like, you know, it's important to take these risks, but also like, and now I'm going to actually quote, you know, somebody I really admire who I just interviewed a couple of days ago, which is um, a woman named Sandy Stone, who started out as a recording engineer, uh, later became a pioneer in transgender studies, among other things, one of the very most fascinating people I've ever talked to. But, you know, uh, one of her, her, she has a kind of motto and in the the end, it's multiple parts, but it's this idea about taking risks. And at the end, she says also like, don't die wondering, you know, don't die wondering what if. I love that. <laughs> and I, I thought that is wisdom. And I think it really fits in with what you're saying here, because it's like, I think for a lot of people, it's like, what if I, you know, did this and then they'd let it go because it's big and scary. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think big and scary is like a kind of a, okay, that's sort of a wake up call sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, you know, what's the worst that will happen is you fail. I would rather fail. I would rather be myself and fail than be somebody else and succeed. Yeah, that's a you know. There's, I mean, obvious. You know, within within these questions, I it just I bump so much into the, you know, that question of authenticity. That I think that that Sinead, you know, like being myself and 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 expressing uh, myself authentically. You even talked about that when I asked you about you know within her voice that. You know that there was a candor and 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 an honesty, and um, you know that that what that helps provide, whether it's connection or the connection between folks. And I think that's you know for me as a text, the why Sinead O'Connor matters was was a pivotal thing for me to run into for where you know all the circumstances to come into when. Uh, when I did and to also not have it be the idea of the loss uh, be simply harrowing, but to be in, in thinking about it, the question I asked fundamentally, why did I cry so much? Why, when I jumped back into the songs and I always shit, most people know if you listen to Sinead, you end up crying on regular listens. (laughs) I don't know who does that all the time. Like, (laughs) You're going to cry regular. Yeah, but you know what? It's all right to cry. That's the thing. You know, you mentioned earlier about like so much of when something bad happens, it's like, you know, we're kind of conditioned, right? To like push it down, you know, but her whole thing was that, you know, healing depends on remembering, you know, like that's really the first thing, you know, is to remember. And like, it gives us a chance to do that. I also want to say before we run out of time though, that not all the songs are, you know, it's not all like sad girl. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because like the wolf is getting married is one of the most hopeful songs I think I've ever heard. You know, it's one of my favorites, but you know, I think she was profoundly a hopeful person in spite of everything that happened. I mean, also funny as hell. Like people don't really talk about that enough. Yeah, I wish, I, I wish, I wish, I, I wish, I hope to come in contact with any of that more and see that, but yes, absolutely. Like, like, uh, you know, somebody from the press sent me uh, a friend of hers once to a show, you know, this is maybe like, I want to say 2012 or 2014, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, um, and she took a video from the, you know, from the audience 
And as Sinead was getting on the stage, she was putting in her, you know, her, like earpiece to start singing. Somebody, can I curse on your show or should I put it? Oh, a, yeah. Okay. So somebody said, uh, fuck Pesci. And then she's, she didn't hear it first, so she takes out the little piece. What did you say? Fuck Pesci. And she's like, oh, uh, something like, I really would prefer not to. No offense, but he's not my type. You know? <laughs> That's just hilarious. You know? And, like, th- that was an element of who she was, you know? And so I think, like, a little bit when you're feeling that sad feeling, you know, we also have to know that she was a person who was, you know, profoundly able to express joy as well. Yeah. You know? And, and like, I, I mean, it, you know, always was open to it always was looking for it yeah yeah i uh that i i, I love that that you pulled that out too because i think that's that's uh cosmically that's so important um allison tell us uh tell the listeners uh tell the listeners where where to find you where to find your things uh mention if there's a couple ideas that are going to manifest popping in your head, whatever you can share. Okay. Well, we won't find me as social media. <laughs> so I think I um, discovered that. Yeah. People will find me just parking there, but no, I think um, especially now it, it seems to be not a place to have a conversation. I want to have a conversation yeah. I'm looking for the right opportunity to do that. Yeah. But a L L Y S O N M C C A B E alisonmccabe.com is where you're going to find my work. I'm working on a couple of exciting things now um, and a couple of things I'd like to do. I'm very interested in rewriting the history of rock and roll. Whoa. I, I don't want to do it counterfactually, but I want to do it in a way that you're going to see. Here's all the stuff that was, you know, we focused on, but here's all the other things that were happening. Not, going ob- on. Yeah. Not, ob- not obscure things, but meaningful things that were off yeah. to the side yeah. that were overlooked again, you know, or distorted. And then I think I'd really like to maybe work on, uh, something, something that kind of comes out of why Sinead O'Con- O'Connor matters. And that's this idea of, you know, you start off thinking you're doing a story about someone else and realize you're getting deeper to the heart of your own story. So I'm not sure what uh, form that will take. I'm working on that now, but those are two projects that I think are kind of in the queue in terms of big stuff. Most exciting. Part of the difficulty when I ask that questions of exes- uh, of guests that I enjoy their work, I'm like, all right, I want it now. So, but that's just me. In my operation, um, now it's so great to hear about uh, your, your thinking and, you know, engagement. That's the thing that's so exciting, like in, in engaging on uh, on these. Um, uh, I uh, got to tell you again, uh, a particular a particular thrill. Um, having had a great conversation with Sadie and seeing just intelligent, important discussion that I'm like deeply interested in and um you know, Headhouse Books and uh, love out to love out to uh, Philadelphia and oh, yeah. us connecting in, in in that type of way. But really, for me to have a conversation uh, with you because it is that exciting to me. Oh, I've got the dog in the background. I'm sorry. We got the dog at the end, so it was okay. it's great. <laughs> okay, it's I didn't want to interrupt, no. but uh, apparently the mailman is on his way, so be warned. <laughs> I mean, no, I love I love Sadie's work. I mean, I think that she's a great example of somebody who, you know, she is a poet, you know, she is a musician, she's an activist, you know, to me, <clears throat> to me, Sadie really represents, you know, like what an artist is, you know, so yeah. I was really, I felt very fortunate to connect with her and also with Mighty Joe Castro and, you know, again, in Philadelphia, because that was not an easy date to do for me in a lot of ways, you yeah. know, going back and, um, yeah, I had a lot of like, I remember like before I walked into the bookstore, I had dinner, I was out to dinner and I was like, 
oh, wow, like, I, sh- like should I have come back? <laughs> you know, like I had this sort of moment. But when I walked into the bookstore and like everything kind of came together, you know, there were some teachers who I'd had in junior high school in a, in a special program where once a week we got to leave our not very good school and go to this other totally different world. They, they opened up worlds for me, these teachers in junior high. I mean, yeah. learning about art, music, and poetry and, and social sciences. And, you know, I didn't necessarily keep in touch with them uh, throughout my life, but you know, and the program ended in junior high. And then by high school, I'm like kind of going through a Sinead period. I guess you could say that as a kind of summary. Yeah. So I got back in touch with them. I told them that I had written the book and like, you know, I'm 53 years old. So you can imagine the age of these teachers. They all showed up that night. You serious? Yeah. In Philadelphia, they, they, uh, they showed up and I didn't do any readings on that tour. I did quick Q and A's, although Sadie asked me to read and the section was where I'm talking about kind of being a little wild, you know, in, in the street in Phil, you know, in, in, again, blocks away from the bookstore. And, uh, you know, it was hard, it was hard to do that, but it was worth it. It was hard to do that, but it was worth it again, going back to this question of things that are difficult and why that's the reason to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah that was, that was a pretty special night. So, um, yeah, as soon as I, as you sent me the invite, as soon as I saw that Sadie did it, you know, I had a little list and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely say yeah, yes. I, <laughs> Thank you so much I, for having me on. It's so great. And then even on the Philly thing, I did, um, <clears throat> just so you know, I did an episode with, uh, uh, Mary Capello was a professor of mine at the university of Rhode Island, profoundly influential, mm-hmm. profoundly influential, smash apart the lazy thought of, culture and being a male, um, critical theory, Mm -hmm. um, like just, uh, just so influential, but I did an interview with her. And uh, the reason why I mentioned it is, um, it's a professor of mine at the university of Rhode Island, really influential. She's from Philly, Mm -hmm. um, does a memoir and, and, and just Wildly adventurous, uh, intellectual, and in curious studies, Mary Capello. So when you're talking about the Philly, I had that in my nexus uh, too, because in yeah. adoration, I'm not very familiar with Philly. I'm from Rhode Island originally, but uh-huh. um, uh, but I've come with the show. I've come into contact with so many great artists there in Philly. Oh, now I mean, you know, there's like a really strong labor community, like as you're talking about a yeah. strong, you know, a strong art community. I mean, yeah. you know, I think that. I think that it's, uh, you know, I mean, Sadie asked me, it was one of the questions was like, how much of Philadelphia, how much of Philadelphia informed this book? And I'm like, yeah. literally every, every word, <laughs> like wow. every word of it. Yeah. Cause I think that it really is like a sort of like, it's, it's complicated, but I think that it's part of who you are is kind of like where you're from and your experiences in the world. And that, even though, like, as you're saying, you know, neither you nor I are, you know, in academia right now, right. Being professors. Yeah, but you carry with you all of those ideas, and they do kind of come into your thinking about how to approach not just your work but your life. So I think that you know, I think it's important for us to accept all, all of who we are. That was something that I learned in the process of writing this book. Sure. Like instead of you know being like, "Oof, that's kind of was a bad period," or "That wasn't good," or like, "I wish that hadn't happened," or "I have this regret." Like I think being able to kind of bring it all together is the way to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wanted to, and, and, and again, thank you for, for the book and, and maybe even a process for me too, because I think okay. that the legacy is, is Sinead and the, and the, and the perception as such. I even think through the 
grieving process or when if you were to think of talk or somebody ask you what's going on, you mentioned the name Sinead, it immediately queers it up and makes it more complicated because then it's like like me, a 51 year old male, like would be like, why is you know, like, why is that? impacted me and that was the thing that was so like it came out of nowhere and it's been a journey for me but what's cool about the journey is I go in through it here I rediscover and I read your book and I look at some of the videos that you mentioned I'm like oh there it is that's right and so I'm going into that phase Mm -hmm. yet again the next Sinead phase so Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so great to have you uh Allison um great to talk with you yeah, really, really uh, a great pleasure to talk to you. You mentioned uh, reading. Uh, would you read a part? When I interviewed her, um, after we got through all the kind of standard questions, you know, we went on to have a more organic conversation, and we started talking about Bob Dylan and his influence. And so she started telling me about all these different song titles of Dylan songs that she really loved. And as we're talking, I'm scribbling down on a post-it note, because I started to feel as I was talking with her that, she wasn't just making a playlist, like, but she was going back into some kind of memory and it might be significant. And then after we were done the call, I took the list that she gave me of these songs and I put them together in a playlist and I just started listening. And there was something about listening to that list that just made me realize that she was trying to tell me the story of her life. I mean, I could really feel like the whole narrative coming together and all of the emotions and then that was the moment where it really connected for me with my own experience. Um, And so I say, then I was able to picture in the most detailed way what O'Connor spoke about in her memoir, starting with the image of O'Connor's brother coming home with the Dylan records, and then her in the shed, knees held up to her chest, rocking back and forth as the records went round and round on the term table, looking at the album covers, at that face she said was so beautiful, it was as if God blew a breath from Lebanon and it became a man. She called Dylan her savior, Her name for him was Lebanon Man. And then I could hear the Lebanon Man singing, Baby, Please Stop Crying. And I thought of how the backup singers must have sounded just like angels to her and how the sun must have come pouring in through the window. Then I heard, Shine Your Light on Me, and Precious Angel. But the enemy I see wears a cloak of decency in slow train and so on. I felt the weight of it all, but also the lift, the miracle of it. This is the stuff I'm never supposed to tell you because it reveals that I'm too close, too invested, maybe even projecting my story onto hers. But maybe the opposite is true, that everyone else hasn't let themselves get close enough, that they aren't invested enough, and their empathy has been snuffed out by false neutrality. We journalists are often told that we should be guided by curiosity, but we're not told enough that we should also be guided by care and compassion and the belief that what we are reporting can and does make a difference. Otherwise, why bother? Yeah, why bother? Thank you, Allison McCabe, talking about why Sinead O'Connor matters. Um, Great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you um, for helping me on my journey and art journey and and thinking about Sinead and and understanding and um, to connect with you, too. And, um, you know, um, there's something about books, isn't there? I hope so. (laughs) There's something about books. (laughs) Yeah, everybody. um, And I found out too. Just a uh, final note: uh, the the why 
and the artist name matters is a, is a series. And I actually yeah. picked up, uh, started listening to um, why Bushwick Bill matters uh-huh. uh, from the Ghetto Boys uh, uh-huh. Fifth Ward. So I was excited. Uh, sometimes when you bump into uh, music, kind of popular culture series, and uh, you see a string of them, it's like it's yeah. a nice little vibe. You're like, oh, they got one of these on this artist. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, why Willie Mae Thornton matters. That came out earlier this year. That one. Oh, they had that too. Yeah, yeah, it just came out. You know, want to say like a few months ago. So that's one to look for as well. I yeah. So anybody, if you you're digging on this vibe, check out the. Uh, that series. I'm about to do the uh, natural transition from Sinead O'Connor to Bushwick Bill, but that's my brain. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, Allison, uh, thanks so much, and uh, uh, and really look forward to the art and uh, and everything else you create in the in, in the coming months and years. Really appreciate it. Thanks again for our conversation. All right. Take care. Take care. This is something rather than nothing. And listeners, to stay connected with us and our guests, visit somethingratherthannothing.com. Join our mailing list for exclusive updates and access to guest-created art. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please like, subscribe, leave a review on your podcast platform. People really read that shit. Your support helps us reach more listeners and spread our community across the planet. This is a global show, and we like to give a shout out to our many listeners across the world, including many listeners in Canada, Spain, Germany, UK, Argentina, Brazil, India, Thailand, and so many more places. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at something rather than nothing podcast for behind the scenes content. And the best way to help the show is to tell your friends about us. If you love it, they'll love it too. Tell your friends who love it. We love you. This is Something Rather Than Nothing podcast.